Pixel 3 review, fun time with Big Notch, 5K overclock, how-to, and should you, video editing on your cell phone, and more. It's all coming up on Tech Thing. A big thank you to our patrons, especially Hugh, Lawrence W., Jason W., and Steven. Join the crew that makes Tech Thing possible. Patreon.com slash Tech Thing. See you there. I'm Shannon Morse. And I'm Patty Dorton. And this is Tech Thing, where we have something useful in every single show. Not today, just expensive stuff. We have lots of useful things in this episode, like pretty cameras and notches. Notches. <laughs> we, okay, I have not spent quality time with the Pixel 3. No, you haven't. But not every yet. time I look at that notch, I go, <laughs> boy, it's a big chunk of screen to be black in the middle of that YouTube video. All right, so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to get straight to the point. Yes, there is a notch on the bigger of the two new Google phones. There's the 3 and the 3XL, and I have the 3XL. Yes, it's big. Yes, it's obvious. It's also there for a reason because it houses two front cameras and a speaker at the top. So you might ask, do I mind it? Actually, not really. Uh, it's only blatantly obvious whenever you're using specific apps or on the home screen. Like if you use YouTube and you watch a video and you pull it out all the way, then there's a notch over your video and that's kind of annoying. It does hide notification icons too, so you only see two of them on the left side, but I check my icons all the time mm -hmm. on my notifications. So I never have more than two. Me, I prefer having excellent stereo speakers on the front of a phone, so I will take a notch any day anytime, especially if it means that I get good stereo speakers. And no, I have not had a second notch show up on the side of the screen, luckily, uh, but if it bugs you, you can always hide it in the developer settings menu too, so you can get rid of your notch and just have a black bar. Yay! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can see, we're reviewing the Google Pixel 3 XL. Uh, the display on this thing is gorgeous. It's, it's a QHD plus o OLED screen at 523 pixels per inch. Mm, and the three, silky. yes, it's very silky. And the three is full HD plus. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's really bright, as you can see here. I'm going to turn down the brightness a little bit so you can actually see the screen on the camera. It looks way better than the Pixel 2, especially comparing them side to side. It's not blue. It's not blue. And it has HDR support too. So if you're watching HDR videos, you can get that nice fancy HDR support. I didn't know what I was missing until I started using this a lot and I noticed how blue the Pixel 2 was. Well see, I, you, you adapted I to did the Pixel adapt. 2 being blue. And Every now I'm being brought back 2, to normal like, world and I'm like, oh wow, yeah, it was blue. <laughs> it would be fun to have Robert Heron look at the HDR on that and see how HDR it is. Because yes. one of the things that's been happening a I lot, wonder. especially in computer monitors, is they're like, it's HDR. And yeah. it's like, define HDR. Define HDR, The yes. screen, though, looks good. Yes, I am glad that Google stepped it up with the screen. Uh, both the 3 and the 3XL also have the Qualcomm Snapdragon processors. They're the 845 processors and an Adreno 630 with the new Titan M security module. Now that Titan M security module means that it secures your phone's sensitive data against things like boot attacks. And that's a pretty major issue, especially the most recent years with uh, Android phones. So that's a good thing to have. Uh, they both have four gig RAM, 64 or 128 gig of storage, storage options. Mm -hmm. uh, you have both of those options. They both have really lovely dual front firing stereo speakers, like I mentioned before. Uh, three mics on the whole thing, all over the place. There's no headphone jack, unfortunately. Why don't they like take away a mic 
input and put it in a headphone jack. Although I feel like the headphone jack is a little bit more bigger. Crappy Google in ear. <laughs> more screen size. Yeah. <laughs> they also have 18 watt fast charging, and yes, it does charge very quickly. And there's also wireless charging available too. And they seem to be resolving some of the semi-proprietary charging issues. Yes. Yay! Oh my goodness. Uh, now, while there is no headphone jack, I am happy that they included that wireless charging, so I can charge the phone via any Qi charger while I'm using the included USB-C headphones. Hmm. Uh, which is great because that was a big problem for me previously right. was not being able to plug in my headphones and plug in a battery pack at the same time. So now if I have a wireless charger on it or a wireless case, mm -hmm. I could do that. I could charge it at the same time. Uh, the battery is 2915 milliamp per hour on the 3 and it's 3430 milliamp per hour for the 3XL. Uh, the 3XL battery lasts me all day on a normal usage and that's a little bit of YouTubing, a little bit of emails, oh, a lot of emails. <laughs> I average around 30% left after a full day right. of use, which is very good. Uh, just like previously, the phones have active edge sensors, so if you Unlock your phone and you squeeze the sides of it. Squeeze it like and hopefully I squeeze it sharp enough because I haven't changed the sensor sensitivity. There it goes. Uh, then Google Assistant will pop up by squeezing the phone. They also have Bluetooth 5.0, a fingerprint sensor on the back. Nothing super fancy there. Uh, they work just like they did previously. It's built with a beautiful soft touch glass on the back. And I do have a case on this, but I'll show you some close-up footage of what the back looks like. It is really soft. It's very, very pretty. Along with the aluminum frame and the hybrid coating around the edges. And it's also IP68 dust and water yes. protected. And um, I already dropped this in the sink when I was doing the dishes at home. So it's definitely water protected, I will say. It works. I'm very happy that it survived. That was that scream I heard. <laughs> yeah. From up in Richmond. <laughs> from up in Richmond. Now, I have heard that that soft touch back can scratch really easily. So, as I mentioned, I put a pretty little case on mine so that it's safe. Just plus to glass. be on the safe side. Yes, plus <laughs> glass. I mean, it's glass all over. So, keep that in mind whenever you're using this. It is Gorilla Glass, but if I put this in my purse with some keys banging around with it, it's probably going to get scratched up. I've broken so many Gorilla Glass screens at this point. Yeah, me too. I just assume too. all glass, some glass is stronger than just, others. You know, keep that in mind. The OS is Android 9 Pie. We have already mm -hmm. done a review of Android 9 Pie on tech things, so I'm not going to go into detail. But on this phone, it's zippy. I like it. It works. <laughs> it's really good. Well, for the, I mean, it's a flagship phone. It, it should is. be zippy. Yes, it should be zippy. <laughs> so I, I'm very happy whenever I see a phone doing zippy things, as it should be. We should talk about the cameras. So the rear camera is 12.2 megapixels with autofocus and dual pixel phase detection. It's also got optical and electronic image stabilization built in and an aperture of f1.8. So it can take videos up to 1080p uh, for 120 FPS or <laughs> 4K at 30 FPS. And then there's also the dual front cameras, and that's the reason why we have that gigantic notch. Uh, both of those are 8 megapixels for the wide angle and the normal field of view camera. So there is a wide angle version that you can use for group photos. The wide angle one has an aperture of f2.2 and 97 degree field of view, while the normal camera has an f1.8 aperture and 75 degrees. 75 degrees is pretty normal for your selfie camera. So it's wider, but it's not not like fisheye, yeah. death lens, skateboarding video. You do wide. get a little bit of that, mm -hmm. and I'll show you an example too. Like you can notice a little bit of that in my photo where I, I'm wearing this same shirt and mm -hmm. it looks like a rather large shirt. So it, it does give
give you a little bit of that fisheye at the edges, but mm -hmm. it's not too bad. Uh, the front camera can also do 1080p at 30 max, and all of the cameras, I would say, are consistently good. They are in focus, they do the correct colors, mm -hmm. for example, and they're very, very fast, too, whenever I was pressing the shutter button down, which I'm very happy about. Um, I think that it does well. What? I was going to say, one of the things I've thought about over the last couple of weeks using a much more, uh, like the, the G6, which yeah. is a $250 phone, yeah. is how slow the camera is by comparison yeah. to the flagship. Yeah, it's it's crazy how much of a difference you get when you're spending like almost half a grand more. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly more We'll than put that. it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that it does well because Google built in this thing called the Pixel Visual Core Chip. That allows it to do machine learning. Mm -hmm. uh, so whenever you're taking photos, it tries to recognize what you want a photo of, and then it'll focus on that thing, or it'll color this correct. This is a grassy field. Thing. Yeah. This is a sheep in front of a yeah. Buick. It's kind of cool. And you know, I can't tell you exactly how it's working on the back end, because I don't know. They haven't told us that. But it, it works. It's really cool. And the features on this thing are neat, too. Is it that much better than the camera on your Pixel 2? Actually, I took a bunch of examples to show you, and I would say right. consistently it did better. Uh, the front cameras, yes, they are plural, meaning you get that wide lens group mm -hmm. selfie with all your friends, so I can stand here with Patrick and we don't even have to squeeze in. You know, we could just take a photo this far apart and it would look great. Like here is the regular field of view and then we have the wide lens and both of these are in portrait mode and both of them look really great. But of course you can see where my, my shirt is a little bit over large right there. <laughs> it's kind of stretched a little bit at the edges. Uh, but I would say overall those are very impressive pictures. I really like how they came out. The portrait mode seemed to be a lot more accurate on mm -hmm. the three than the two. Overall, I noticed that it was very clear along the edges, especially with like pictures of this plant that I took outside. Colors also seemed a lot more accurate. Like I took this picture where Patrick and I held our hands in front of a moss wall, and you can notice the Pixel 2 is a little bit more of a yellowish grayish tint, mm -hmm. while the Pixel 3 is a little more accurate, I would say. Like if you compare of course, this is not exactly, but if you compare <laughs> our hands to the photos that we have sitting right in front of us, it looks like it's a little bit more accurate on the three. In the dark, the three had a better time focusing on the subject. I use this little Tokidoki unicorno thing to take photos in the dark. My HDR photos outside were almost exactly the same. You can see a little bit of a tint difference. The Pixel 3 XL looks a little bit more saturated. Mm -hmm. The playground mode is fun, but it's kind of gimmicky. I probably won't use it, but you know, everybody likes Iron Man, so I decided to take a selfie with Iron Man because why not? I was wondering what the playground <laughs> mode was. Yeah, playground mode is pretty cool. I mean, it's it's really fun, but it's more like something you would bring out at a party or something like that. Or your six-year-old would take 273 <laughs> nose selfies with Iron Man behind it. It's so true. But in, and the cool thing is, like, the, the creature or the people or mm -hmm. whatever you're doing the playground with, they'll interact with you. So if you smile at the camera, then Iron Man will point at the camera with you. It's kind of cool in that sense. It's very neat. And it feels like they're actually there, although if you turn around, they're not going to be, unless you're crazy. Now, <laughs> lastly, I recorded some walking videos on both the 2 and the 3XL to test the OAS and EIS. And they're almost exactly the same, but the 3 did a better job of brightening up the darker areas mm -hmm. of the video. So as far as the image stabilization goes, it looks like they're using the same technology for both of these phones. 
So the new Google Pixel 3 and 3XL are now shipping and they start at $799 for the 3 and $899 for the XL. Each of those start at 64 gigs and then they cost $100 more for a 128 gig model version. Uh, they both come in just black, clearly white or not pink and not pink is the one that you saw me using and they are available unlocked or Google Fi or via Verizon as well. So they did team up with Verizon, which is cool. Now Google did send me this not pink 3XL, which is actually pink. It's like blush pink as a part of their Team Pixel program. So this is the one that I'm going to be using this year. So keep that in mind. So if you have the two, I would upgrade to the three. I would. If a notch bothers you, then get the three, not the 3XL, because there is no <laughs> notch on the three. With the camera, the security upgrades, the Titan M chip, which is so cool, plus the much, much better screen. It's a really good buy in my book, especially if you can like trade in the Pixel 2 and then mm -hmm. get the three. Then you're saving like half a grand. So it's a pretty big trade off. And I would say, other than like the consumer specs that you see on here, like the storage and the four gigs of RAM, that hasn't changed. Right. The things that have changed are how Google is using all of these different processes to make your experience better. So no micro SD card slot? Nope. Still. And where are you getting trade-in, or would you, do you trade in the phone to get that $500 to yeah. get it directly at Google? You or? can trade it into Google. Um, they start at 400 bucks for a trade-in. So you get a pretty decent amount of money for a Pixel 2, um, which I would definitely keep in mind if you're looking to, to trade one in and then buy a Pixel 3. Plus, your spouse won't look at you and say, I don't want that blue screen phone. I know. <laughs> exactly. So let me know if you have any questions about the Pixel 3 or Android 9 Pie or mm -hmm. the camera or any of the other specs. Or if you want me to do a comparison of this with the OnePlus 6T, which I believe we'll be getting one of those in for the review as well, I would love to check them out side by side. So ask at techthing.com, or you can tweet me at snubs or at techthing. You know him from his incredibly helpful articles at Lifehacker and How To Geek. Now, Whitson Gordon's just written up an Intel CPU overclocking guide for PC Mag. How does 5K from a 4K processor sound to you? Whitson, welcome to Tech Thing. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh my goodness, thanks for joining us, man. Um, one, been a fan for years. Gonna fanboy out for a second. Your work's- Likewise. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so running 5K, you, 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 uh, that sounds amazing to me. Uh, how, how big of an overclock was that for the CPU you're running? So technically, uh, technically the base clock on this 8086K that I was using is four gigahertz, mm -hmm. but it can boost a single core all the way up to five gigahertz stock. So <laughs> this overclock basically allowed me to take that five gigahertz and run it across all six cores. Having spent some quality time trying to max, or, or basically just, just rendering video on Intel processors, uh, always jamming like all the cores up to uh, 100, uh, well, basically 100%, and then the thermals climb, and then the speed drops. Um, I thought you were delitting, but you didn't actually have to like do the dreaded popping off of the heat spreader to get this. No, this was a, a loner PC, so it was not mine to tear apart. Um, but. <laughs> A lot of people are delitting these processors because the thermal interface material that Intel's been using for the past couple generations is just not very good. They're not, they weren't soldering the, the, the IHS onto the die, mm -hmm. um, which gives you like 20 degrees higher temperature. So a lot of people have been delitting their processors to really bring those temperatures down and push it farther. But I was just overclocking it on water. So would you say for, for serious overclocking or just for getting the most out of overclocking, liquid cooling is pretty much mandatory? 
Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think that a custom water cooling loop is probably the best that you're going to get. But uh, on my personal system, I actually much prefer to have a big honking air cooler because a lot of times it's actually quieter than water because you have fewer moving parts and it still cools really, really well. I have a liquid cooler on one machine that's got four 120 millimeter fans on it. And it's a little <laughs> like 1994 jet engine in there. Um, exactly. And because you have the pump, too, making noise. Oh, my goodness. The pump on that one's not too bad. One of the things I don't think people realize is a lot of even inexpensive air coolers today can often deliver the same amount of cooling or, or kind of run in, in parity or, or, or run along with the big dogs of liquid cooling, which I was kind of fascinated by. Absolutely. If you look at companies like uh, Fantex, Noctua, Be Quiet, they've all got these really big dual tower heat sinks that are relatively affordable, especially compared to custom water cooling, and they run really well and pretty quiet. So classic overclocking, you, you set the multiplier, you restart, you tweak the voltage, you restart, you stress test. You, you said things had kind of gotten tougher since the last... Just season. a little bit. Not as tough as they were, you know, like 10 years ago, but... Um, part of the problem is that because these processors are so hot, if you want to get a decent overclock out of them, you got to really kind of fine tune certain settings. Um, one of the things that is interesting in this latest kind of few generations is the AVX instruction set, the AVX2 instruction set from Intel, which is really great and powerful for certain uh, CPU intensive tasks like, tasks like handbrake, mm -hmm. but it can run really, really hot, really push your processor to the edge. Um, and so some of these new motherboards have a feature called AVX offset that lets you have one overclocked frequency for non-AVX instruction or workloads and uh, kind of dial it back a little bit for those really, really hot AVX workloads. So it's cheating a little bit. I overclock to 5 gigahertz, but it's really more like 4.7 gigahertz when I'm using one of those AVX uh, uh, processes. Wow. So when you're stress testing on this, um, are you're using OCCT? That actually gives you your stress testing and monitoring of everything that's going on in the CPU? Yeah, there are a lot of great stress test options out there. I like OCCT because not only does it monitor your temperatures and your frequencies and your voltage and all that while stress testing, but it also gives you multiple stress testing options in one package. You know, you have LinPack, which is great, and you have OCCT's own uh, stress testing, which is great, and you kind of use them both to make sure your overclock is rock solid. So I, I got to ask, is memory speed particularly critical to overclocking right now, or was it, uh, you know, something that was just whatever was in the machine ran fine? I On Intel, uh, it doesn't matter nearly as much as it does on Ryzen systems. We all know Ryzen is gets some pretty decent performance gains from memory speed. But with the prices of RAM these days, you know, the money that you would put towards a higher speed RAM is usually just better funneled into a processor or a graphics card. Um, I usually kind of hit the XMP profile and leave it at that, especially because memory overclocking can be so finicky and it, and it can cause so many weird errors that I just don't feel like dealing with it these days. I, I have openly wept while overclocking memory. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Quietly, in the darkness, but certainly <laughs> openly. Um, it can get frustrating. So. You talked about AVX not running quite as fast as the rest of the CPU. What's the real-world performance boost, you know, going from 4K with a turbo mode of 5K on one core till it thermally, you know, saturates and drops down? <laughs> what did you see in terms of performance overall? 
So I did a few handbraking codes, uh, encoding like a 4K video uh, down to 1080p for an Apple TV to see how that ran. You know, if you're encoding like a 12-minute video, uh, you know, I saw a few minutes difference. If you're encoding like a, a 4K Blu-ray, uh, you know, I saw almost a half hour faster after overclocking because you were able to kick it up on all those cores. And that's with that AVX offset. Is that a half hour out of 90 minutes, a half hour out of... Sorry, and that's a half hour out of about uh, two and a half hour okay. to encode. I cut about a half hour out, out of that. Okay, so we're talking about a fairly healthy, but we're not talking like a 50%. Well, actually, oh, no. It almost sounds like close to a 20% boost there. Just about uh, 20% quicker. And that's, and you know, if you're encoding something really long, that's a significant amount of time. So the article gets into pretty good detail. It's a nice walkthrough over at PCMag.com. We got a link in the show notes. Who do you think should overclock? You know, is it worth it for most folks to do this? You know, that, that's always a hard question to ask. And the more you kind of get the hang of it, the faster it is and the easier it is. And, and you know, but your time is worth something, right? right. Um, if you have more time available to you than you have money available, yeah, overclocking will help you get some more out of that processor. Um, and, you know, Part of it, too, is the fun of doing it, right? Seeing how far you can push that hardware, getting to know the technology a little bit better. That stuff is kind of harder to put a price on. So I've always enjoyed it. I always do it to my own personal systems. I do recommend it. If you're, you know, okay with pushing your hardware to the limit and, and being uh, a, a little risky with it. Well, I mean, it's not like the bad old days where you could overclock no. the processor, burn it out. At least now they kind of have If you keep an eye on your voltages and temps, you'll be fine. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Whitson. What's the best place for folks to stalk you and your work on the Internet? I am everywhere these days, so just follow me on Twitter or Facebook, and you will see all the stuff that I'm putting out. What's your Twitter handle? Whitson Gordon. And Facebook? Whitson Gordon. Oh, my goodness. Easy peasy. Thank you so much for your time, Whitson. We hope to have you back on soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Patrick. We love your questions, your tips, and your suggestions of products and ideas to check out. You can tweet us. We recommend it at TechThing at Snubs or at Patrick Norton or email ask at TechThing.com. And a big shout out to our patrons at Patreon.com slash TechThing. You pay the bills. You make the show possible. Our thanks to you. Join the crew that makes TechThing happen at Patreon.com slash TechThing. Fred writes in, I want to start a YouTube channel about hiking trails in Oregon. I'm having a hard time finding affordable equipment like video cameras and video editing software. What would you recommend for someone wanting to record high quality video outside and software to edit that video that's on a budget? Big fan of the show. Thanks, Fred. Ooh. I want to point something out. Okay. I worked at Discovery for a little while, far, far off in a dark corner of Discovery. I wasn't near all the cool stuff. <laughs> but one of the things I did find out from the people who did the cool stuff at Discovery, you would be amazed how much GoPros get used for full-on broadcast Dude. video by a company that has the money to spend whatever they need to get the amazing cameras. And they do. But never underestimate the glory of a GoPro yeah. in a sunny environment. That's actually, he has a great point. And the older GoPros now are so cheap. Yeah. Especially since they came out with like the Hero 6, I think they're on now. Yeah, like you could get a four or a three for way inexpensive prices. Which so is good. Keep that in mind. Um, I started doing this yearly thing a couple of years ago. It's called Vlogmas. 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 It's where I make 25 vlogs during December, which means I'm doing one video per day. And I needed it to be quick and painless and easy to edit on the go. And that's what I thought of when Fred said, mm -hmm. I want to do vlogs about hiking trails in Oregon. I was like, oh, cool, you're going to be out on the go. So... I recommend your phone. 
or more precisely, a smartphone with the capability to record at least 1080p videos with optical or electronic image stabilization, or both, and enough storage space to store those videos, especially if you don't have like free in the cloud storage right. or like unlimited Verizon or something like that. If you shoot a lot of video on your phone, a phone with a micro SD card slot is your friend. Yes, 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 yeah, absolutely. Now, if you already have a smartphone, alternatively, a gimbal stabilizer might be something that you want to purchase. This can help with getting really steady shots on those hiking trails, like the one that I recommend and one that I've gotten to play with, I haven't purchased one myself yet, but I really want one, is the DJI Osmo Mobile 2, which is only 140 bucks, uh, which is a great price for a gimbal. And I know from experience that the first one that they came out with was great. This one has a lot more perks in it, like it's not a proprietary battery, so you can charge this thing with any external battery, which I really appreciate. Now. Of course. I just also want to point out, I'm laughing because you, you, you. I know where a, this is going. Is this your third, your fourth, or will this <laughs> be your fifth gimbal? Um, this one would be my third. Third. I think. Gimbals is one of those things where everybody's <laughs> always chasing, like gimbal enthusiasts. Yeah. Buy a lot of gimbals. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> So anyway, make sure the phone that you are using has a good built-in mic as well. This is so important, especially to YouTube viewers. So far, I have found that the Pixel, Pixel 2 XL, and the Pixel 3 XL all have really good built-in mics for YouTube videos. That's what I use for my vlog, so you can check the quality on my YouTube channel. That way you get good audio quality for your videos, because if, if people don't like the audio that's coming out, they're not gonna watch your video. So if you care about those views, you want good audio. Uh, an external mic might be a good bet as well. Uh, sure, Rode and Zoom all make really good mics that you can plug directly into your phone. Um, I know my coworker Darren has a couple that he has used. One that I've been recommended amongst my Apple uh, iPhone friends is the Sure MV88, which is available over on Amazon for 150 bucks. Uh, this is among one of the most popular mm -hmm. ones for vloggers that I am aware of. And you might have some recommendations as well. One, I want to, the Sure actually is amazing. You yeah. need an iPhone for that. Um, a lot of people use something like this. This is a, a handy recorder, Zoom H4n, and it's got a couple of high quality mics in here, and then it's got a yes. pair of XLR inputs. Um, I've used these, I think I've used these at different places on and off for close to a decade yeah. at this point. Yeah, Variations on these. Um, they are incredibly useful, and it's not that hard to, if you remember to Yep. It's not that hard to match your audio and your video. And if you don't want to, if you like, if you, you have, have a to decent camera. You sync your audio and video. And by doing that, you get yeah. that clap on audio and you that get that clap in front of your video so you can sync them. Because there'll be two different files if you use an external one like that. Are you editing Vlogmas on your phone? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I am. That's what I've been doing every year. So for editing those videos on your phone, if you decide to use your phone, I would recommend either KineMaster or uh, Adobe Premiere Rush, which I will speak on in just a moment. So KineMaster is available for iPhone and Android. It's five bucks a month or 40 bucks a year, so it's not that bad for pricing. Mm -hmm. It allows for multiple layers in the timeline, so you can stack music behind your videos, audio, or you can stack fancy video footage over your walking the trail video. There are speed controls, so you can speed up things or slow them down. Lots more you can do in the app. It's, it's very, very 
complicated, but it also means that you can do a lot. So it's not missing anything that room I've needed. Room to grow is nice. Room to grow is definitely nice. Room to learn. And it exports super easily to a file that is compatible with YouTube, and you can export directly to YouTube, no problem, which is wonderful. Another one that I recommend is Adobe Premiere Press, like I mentioned before. Uh, this one is 10 bucks per month. It's only available on iOS right now and iPad, of course, and on desktop, but Android is coming soon according to their marketing department. And I gotta say, I got to see a demo of this thing in action, and I got to play with it a bit too. They actually let me touch the iPad at a demo here in San Francisco, and it was refreshing. It was so refreshing to have a mobile experience like that in editing. It was so easy and intuitive. I just loved it. And if you want to like field edit with Rush, then you can turn around and basically suck the Rush video files into Adobe Premiere and do a full-on edit with your professional editing tool. It's when you amazing. Get back to a desktop. It's amazing. Uh, I would love to know what you choose to use, Fred. I know that um, smartphones aren't for everyone when it comes to video recording, but if you just want to get some stuff on the go while you're hiking, yeah. these are all really, really excellent options, and they've worked for me in the past. And I would love to know if they work for you as well. So email us askatechthing.com with any of your podcasting or video YouTuber questions. We would love to help out any other fellow content creators out there. Practice before you go on the hike. Practice, practice yes. Practice, practice. Absolutely. Because there's <laughs> nothing worse than like hiking eight miles and being like, I got a lot of shaky cam. <laughs> That's why we get the Osmo. No, before you go. <laughs> well, you can also shake the Osmo too. You can, but, yeah. You know, it's, it's It'll just be very steady shaking. <laughs> <laughs> practice before the big hike. Just saying. Thank you for your question, Fred. Mm -hmm. Askatechthing.com. Lost in translation emails, I am tech support for my friends and family. My problem is when I try to explain that just because they have a 4K TV don't mean they are watching everything in 4K. I told them that they have to watch the 4K channel to get the broadcast if it's available. For some reason, no one understands me. Can you back me up on this? Thanks in advance. Lost in translation. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, I love that question. So, <laughs> I, I think it was Robert Heron has this great story about the early days of like 720p, 1080p televisions yeah. and going to somebody's house. And they had like an early HD DVD player. Remember HD DVD? Yes. No? Well, yeah, you do. <laughs> I do. But Robert does. But the... Uh, in any case, uh, they somehow, it was either an HD DVD player or something, but they had managed, I can't remember what exactly it was, but they had managed to avoid the HDMI output on the source and were using like an S-video cable. So they were taking like a digital source that could match oh. the resolution of the screen and they were basically oh converting God. it to analog and sending it into an analog input to the back oh, of the TV. Oh, wow. Um, they made it so complicated. They did. <laughs> and they also eliminated a lot of the quality. But what's yep. kind of crazy, if I put 480p into a 1080p television like this, yeah. I probably have it set up so it'll scale it to be mm -hmm. 1080p on the screen. Yeah. And, you know, you're right as far as native playback goes. Um, lost in translation, but even if you manage to figure out a way to stuff like 480p video over an HDMI cable into that 4K TV, you're still actually watching 4K in the sense that there's going to be video on all 8 million pixels. Now, it, you know, there may be a black bar or something depending on how the content is formatted, mm. um, but you know, literally the 4K TV has like 8 million pixels versus like 2 million pixels on a 1080p TV. So this 1080p is not a 4K content, TV, by the way. 
No. <laughs> Not even close, right? But the processing in the TV, the TV is going to take that 1080p video and it's basically going to quadruple the pixels and blow them up on the screen or blow the 1080p. Because when you look at 1080p, sort of, this is 1080p right here Ooh. and this is 4K. So you've got Ooh. one, two, three, four. Basically, there's, a there's four times as many pixels. You can yeah. fit four 1080p images in 4K. Um, in terms of 1080p content, whether it's from a Blu-ray or your, you know, you know your 1080p Apple TV or your older Roku or whatever it is. Um, one of the big differences in televisions or 4K televisions is what how good a job it does processing or upscaling the lower resolution content mm. to 4K. That can make a huge difference in image quality. And often, the more expensive a TV is, you tend to find better processing. You probably don't want to explain that part beyond, yes, you're watching 4K, but it's not 4K because it's not a 4K source. And I am feeling you're banging your head against the wall pain right now. <laughs> so yes, absolutely. To get what you paid for out of a 4K TV, you need 4K source material, like a old, uh, UHD Blu-ray, or a you know 4K Apple TV, or a 4K compatible Roku box. You need 4K content coming over that, and you need a 4K screen, a 4K television, or a 4K projector to get real 4K. Though, quite frankly, the higher resolution of 4K is nice, but unless you sit like two feet from your TV, um, I think a lot of people are going to notice HDR mm. a lot more. Yeah. Um, which, of course, requires HDR content, an HDR compatible player, and an HDR compatible TV that works with All the, the HDR format that it's encoded in. Queue up conversation to HDR10 versus Dolby Vision, but not right now. <laughs> Clear as mud, right? You are absolutely right, though. You know, your 4K TV is only going to play native 4K if yeah. the source is native 4K, and it's probably worth it to find that. And if um, perhaps if your family members have not had a chance to experience the glory of an HDR, uh, find them, if they have an HDR compatible TV, find them something in HDR and Fire it up because the difference can be amazing. And yes. once you've given them that taste, that first taste is always free, right, kids? Uh, once you've given them that first taste, maybe they'll actually go out of their way and start making sure everything's set up so that they get the 4K stuff from the 4K sources for the 4K awesome. Or actually, I should say maybe the HDR stuff yeah. the HDR sources <laughs> for the HDR awesome. Did I mention clear as mud? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, lost in translation. It's a good question. <laughs> Oh, one last thing, uh, Blu-ray.com or Blue-Ray.com is a great source for this. Not all 4K Ultra K Blu-rays come from an actual 4K source. Sometimes they are a, like a lower resolution, like a 2K, something in between 1080p and 4K, and then they upscale it to 4K, which is a whole conversation that you could spend weeks and years in AV forums mm. and, and Reddit talking about. Right now, though, let's talk about our friends over at Hack5. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in a studio right now, thanks to the generosity of Hack5. And if you haven't been over to hack5.org, you should go there and check out the Security and Privacy Podcast. And then, ladies and gentlemen, there are some pretty badass pen testing tools and USB automation tools over there. And if you haven't seen them, well, for example, the USB rubber ducky. Start practicing now. You'll be ready for April Fool's Day. And actually, <laughs> a whole lot more. I love rubber duckies. We all love rubber duckies. They are tools yeah. of automation <laughs> and coworker torture. <laughs> yes. Don't definitely. do that though. It would be me. <laughs> and remember, once in a while, put down your phone, step away from the screen, close the laptop, and do something analog like Rob, who writes, check out one of my analog activities. 
and he sent a couple of photos oh. of him, and in his own words, Robin Hooding it up. That is a really tight group of arrows. Yes, it is. Check out this one, though. It gets even better. Nice! Isn't that amazing? Did he split an arrow? Uh, yeah, it looks like it. Oh my goodness. I think that is literally a Robin Hooding. This is the kind of thing that makes my son freak out. So cool. Because my son learned archery at Fire and Knife Camp last year and started oh. building bows in Fire and Knife Camp. Oh, so that's showing, cool. Showing an arrow, splitting an arrow. Awesome! Head explodes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you so much and don't forget to send in your analog photos to ask at techthing.com if you want to be featured. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I'm Shannon Morris. We'll see you next week on Tech Day. Hey, I hope everybody had a great Halloween. Oh, that'd be a good analog. You could send us your Halloween photos. We could have a Halloween parade. Halloween pictures. The Tech Day Halloween parade. That would be pretty cool. I'm Actually. going as a dad. <laughs> I was Hermione for my Halloween party. It was awesome. Seamus has this insane bear thing going on. You want to get that care bear? Tristan was like a plague doctor. Like oh. with the full on mask. Oh wow, plague. that's cool. His brother really had done cool. that a few years ago. And he was just like, I want to be a plague doctor. Oh, that's really cool actually. That's yeah. a good costume. It's really Creepy. funny to watch people like. <laughs> Although Seamus's rocket raccoon was probably the best reaction. Oh my god. Cute, so cute. Was, I want to see pictures. My wife has this <laughs> incredible mask with fur and ears, and, and you know, I grabbed a bunch of tubes from yeah. uh, the shop back, and, oh, and yeah. you know, duct tape. I paid three giant tubes, duct that's tape amazing. to the stock, and I then wrapped orange tape around the end because you know, oh, that's so California. Yep. Um, and uh, <laughs> and it was, but people were like, "Oh, are you a rocket raccoon?" He was like, "Oh, that's so cool." <laughs> Probably she's concerned that my child and I both identify deeply with Rocket Raccoon, but you know, there's a soul there. There is some cuddly little love. Thank you, everybody. I would cuddle the stuff out of that little raccoon.